So now we turn in our final segment. Uh, President Joe Biden will travel to New York City tomorrow to discuss policing and public safety with Mayor Eric Adams. Biden has vowed to pour resources into putting more cops on the streets in New York City and other cities and towns that have seen an uptick in crime since the COVID pandemic began. Adams uh, has had a whirlwind first month in office, and like Biden, he is eager to be seen as aggressively tackling crime. In his latest article, Indy contributing editor and Eric Adams voter Nicholas Powers does a fascinating job of exploring the political and cultural sources of Adams' deep popularity in the Black community, what left activists have failed to understand about Adams and his supporters, and how our new mayor has already begun to betray his working class supporters in favor of his wealthy backers. The article is titled, is Eric Adams playing black voters? And it's the featured article right now on the independent.org website. And that's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T.org. Nick, welcome back to the show. So good to see both of you. Hi, what's up? Thank you. Hey, Nick, great to have you with us. Um, So in your article, you write, quote, one of the surest ways to succeed in politics is to tap into an underlying highly charged dream. How does that apply to Eric Adams? Yeah, when Eric Adams stepped into the spotlight, he also filled a very deep unanswered need. And the deep unanswered need was, you know, bullet pocked, scarred and scared communities of color in New York wanted safety, but they didn't want racist policing. And so when he stepped into the spotlight promising safety, but as a black man who was a, a police captain, police chief, that he was able to then answer both needs at the same time, at least in a symbolic way. So that's obviously the first kind of superficial political level. But on a deeper level, there is a long um, entrenched hunger that has been uh, for a father figure that has been created by the absence of fathers in black homes, black families, Latino homes, Latino families. And this absence of actual real fathers has been, in a sense, answered in kind of a symbolic ways with the representation of the strong black man, which is, you know, something that I've, that's a saying that I've, I've heard my whole life, but it's also something you've seen, you know, everything in movies like Malcolm X from 1992 to, you know, characters like Morpheus in the, in the Matrix. And what you see over and over again is this kind of um, fiction replacing the absence in reality. And so when when um, Eric Adams comes in and he presents himself as a strong black man, that he answers, a, you know, many levels. On a political level, he answers the need of communities of color that have been deeply wounded by crime but don't want the racist policing. But he also answers a deep cultural hunger to see a black man, in a sense, kind of come home and set the house right. Right. And and Nick, what do you think that the left has failed to understand about this appeal that Adams has? And why does it not understand only about Adams, but about the lives of many of his supporters who chose to vote for him? Yeah, it's yeah, because what Adams did is he exposed that there is a a, a widening gulf between, I would say, either the BLM rhetoric of and it's, it's a good analysis looking at the structural racism and also policing and housing, et cetera. And I think what the left misses is that people of color who are working class and are dealing with crime 
need answers and solutions now. And when they hear terms like abolition or defund the police, it doesn't make them or us feel safe because it sounds like you're taking away the one thing, the one kind of force that has a double-edged function in our lives. Yeah, the police hurt us. Yes, the police stop and frisk us. Yes, they make us feel tons of shame. And they also kill unarmed innocent people. But they also keep me somewhat safe from people who are mugging, from people who are rapes. You know, they keep me safe from murders to a certain extent. In other words, they provide at least some level of protection that people cannot give themselves. And so when they hear abolition, even though I think some of the technical policy ideas are very good, it just rubs folks the wrong way because they're like, how is this? You're taking away the one thing that's going to help me stay safe in the streets. So I, I think that there is uh, there's a deep cultural disconnect between, I would say, finally, a college educated SAT speaking left and a working class that speaks street and needs answers now, not in some kind of foreseeable future. Right. And, and uh, as you were saying in your, your article, you, you suggest that the Black Lives Matter movement has lost some of its resonance in the black community including with people like yourself who joined in the marches and chanted, I can't breathe and hands up, don't shoot. And that uh, Adams has taken advantage of this. Um, um, We can talk about that some more in a moment, but first uh, we're going to hear some tape of uh, Patrice Cullors, co-founder of Black Lives Matter and former executive director of the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation. She appeared on Democracy Now! yesterday. Cullors supports the abolition of police, jails, and courts as we know them. In this exchange, she was asked by the show's host, Amy Goodman, about what should be done with people who commit heinous crimes, like the Minneapolis police officer who murdered George Floyd and the father and son in Georgia who chased down and killed Arma Arbery. Let's listen. So let me just ask a quick question that might be confusing for many. When you have someone like Derek Chauvin or the McMasters who are found guilty of murdering Ahmaud Arbery, uh, the McMichaels, um, a police officer, former police officer and his son, um, what should happen to them? Uh, should they be imprisoned? It's a good question, and it's a question that many abolitionists are thinking about and talking about. Um, But I want to say that abolition isn't uh, devoid of accountability. And so when we talk about abolition, we don't say that we aren't um, holding people accountable for harm that is caused. Um, But we don't think the current system of accountability actually meets the needs of the community that is harmed. Nick Powers? Yeah, just to be really quick, that was a total BS answer. And the way that Amy framed it, to be honest, wasn't helpful because she framed it with the images of white men hunting down unarmed black men and killing them. And I understand that that was the attention uh, and, and headline grabbing crimes. And But the reality is, one, is most crime is intraracial. It's with people that you know, it's within your neighborhood. Two, not all neighborhoods have the same type of crime or the same levels of crime. Black and Latino neighborhoods have much higher homicides, much higher, higher uh, gun murders, much higher forms of uh, physical assault. So, and, and the people in our, like in my neighborhood, in, in these working class neighborhoods want to feel safe. And so they need to, because they're worried about how the pressures of poverty, uh, fatherlessness, how just the rage that boils inside the heart that comes shooting out in the form of bullets, uh, especially between the young men, how do you stop that now? 
And in that answer, she didn't actually give any answer to what people need now. It was this kind of debate, theoretical musing, but it, it doesn't answer. And I think, I think you can't expect for working class audiences to really take you seriously if you can't respect the fact that they need answers now. And the abolitionist rhetoric has to have answers for now, rather than it being kind of a, you know, a, a, a college, you know, theory class. And so where does this all lead, Nick? Um, I think what's going to happen is that the next movement has to going to probably catalyze um, around not just protecting us from criminals, but protecting our children from becoming them. And the way to address that is to address the social inequality, which is the thing that Eric Adams has always consistently really refused to address. And so he, in a sense, is playing a shell game. You know, he takes class inequality and the violence that that causes kind of like a snowball effect. It starts off small, you know, starts off with childhood, goes into adolescence, it gets larger and larger. And he always hides class inequality under race or victim blaming or law and order rhetoric. And so ultimately, I think the, the next powerful working class coalition, multiracial movement is, I think, not just saving like stops, you know, keeping us safe from crime, but keeping our kids safe from even becoming criminals or being involved in crime. And that means really like new jobs, you know, uh, new uh, trauma treatment centers, uh, drug rehabilitation centers, conflict negotiation skills revamping of the school pedagogy so kids get an emotional education not just a technical education um you know actually having a larger vision for new york what you know what are the massive projects that you could you know use huge amounts of new labor for that the 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 next generation could feel they have skin in the game that they've inherited the city we have uh, 20 seconds away yeah the last thing is that you need to give the youth the fact that they are going to inherit the city and own it and be in charge of it rather than just being dumped in its jails and warehouse because there's no use for them. Okay, well, we'll leave it there. Uh, Nicholas Powers, contributing editor at The Independent, thank you so much for joining us this evening on WBAI. Thank you. Have a great night. You bet. And I encourage everybody to go to independent.org. Nick's article is a feature article up right now. Really uh, fascinating read. A lot of different uh, points to to take in. And... uh, That's going to be our show tonight. Uh, We'll be uh, off next week, but we'll be back same time in two weeks on uh, Tuesday, February 15th. And uh, thanks to our uh, board operator, uh, Reggie Johnson, also uh, special assistance uh, for the show uh, from Renee Feltz. And uh, Amba, you do uh, almost all of our musical selections. Uh, What do we got for our uh, musical outro? Tonight, we're back with Miss Simone, Work Song by Nina Simone. In a store, hold it steady right there while I hit it. Well, I reckon that ought to get it been working and working, but I still got so terribly far to go. I heard the judge say five years on chain gang, you gonna go. I heard the judge say five years of labor. I heard my own. Scream, Lordy, no Hold it right there While I hear it Well, I reckon that Ought to get it been working